Tanya? Yes, Jonathan. Have you ever seen a meat that you just can't eat? A meat that I just can't eat? Yeah, like a meat that's maybe sweet, maybe sour, maybe tender. Oh, man. That was a steak for me not too, too long ago. You yeah. You couldn't eat the steak? I tried. What happened? So I had a steak in my freezer. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> um, I realized it was from back when I moved into this place in 2020 during oh, the pandemic. An ancient steak was 2020 found. 2020 is not too bad. I mean, if you look Tw- at my... If my if, if frozen to your meat if you to your meat if you look at my parents freezer you would find some really old meat but anyways <laughs> but your parents are really old and, yeah, and I am not no. as old so I made this meat mm. I defrosted the meat I cooked the meat I put it in my mouth I took like you know three four bites and then something happened in my brain where I thought I had started thinking about this is really old meat. Like this cow was last alive quite a time oh, sure. ago. Three I was years really, ago, it was really getting to me. And then next thing I know, I was like, is there a whang to this? Is there a, a, a twinge or a, a something like a little offness? And, and then I couldn't eat the meat. You're really, you're describing what sounds to me like the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, but in relation to meat, it's the stages of meat grief. Because... At first, you were like, shock, this is two-year-old meat. And then you went immediately into bargaining, like, I can eat this old meat. Yeah. <laughs> and then when it hit your mouth, it was... Denial. Of... <laughs> <laughs> I can eat this meat. I yeah. can. <laughs> and then, then the fear, the appropriate fear kicked in that you had in your mouth some... Some real old strange, meat. Strange meat. Strange meat. Strange meat. Strange meat. And that's the meat that you just couldn't eat. When when it came to the meat I can't eat, <laughs> you got an idea about the meat I can't eat? No, I don't. Really? I understand you don't eat pork very much. I can eat Okay. pork meat. Won't eat it because of those three piglets I took care of on MTV's Road Rules. Season 5, the Northern Trail, Chicago <laughs> episode in the hotel room right near the... Rock and roll McDonald's. Oh. As sang about by Wesley Willis. No, the meat I can't eat. There was this meat maestro. He was down at the old brown barrel. He said to me, how about you have a sweet new treat? I've got for you some electric eel meat. And I said, hmm, I've had alligator meat. I've had a little bit of tarantula meat. I've had so many different surprising meats in my years of eats. And I said, electric eel meat. Hmm. Ah, I got to see if I can take a bite out of this. The eel meat. No, electric. Is Is it still electric if it's dead? There's, uh, there's only one way to find out about that. <laughs> so I looked this eel dead in the eye, and I said, eel, mm-hmm. it's you or me. Because those eels, they'll eat you right back if you let them get a chomp. <laughs> oh, they're chompers. Worst. They're chompers. So I uh, came around the side, mm-hmm. gave a little whiff, a little lick. No. Oh, you know, God. just a little just getting my palate wet, ready for no. that electric eel ah. meat. And you know what happened? He electrocuted you. <laughs> That's not exactly what happened. I found oh. out I was allergic to electric eel meat. Is this a real story, Jonathan? No. <laughs> it's all made up. What? <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it.
Welcome everyone to another episode of Talking to Women About Video Games. I'm joined again by Tanya. It's me. It's Tanya. We have a guest-packed show today. It could be jam-packed depending on how much me and Tanya end up talking. But in terms of the cutting-edge video game news of the past week, uh, Ed Sheeran is going to sing a Pokemon song? Oh. Is that hot news? Does anyone know? Does anyone fully I think grasp? Ed Sheeran even makes fun of Ed Sheeran. I hope so. He seems like he is some self-awareness that the fact that he is like the guy is, is bizarre. I've seen videos of him being out like in public and people are like, hey, you look like Ed Sheeran. And he's like... I've heard that sometimes. Oh, you know, like cute the, little like, Ed Sheeran. Like little, like, you know, classic. But he sings songs about the shape of a woman and like, I want to touch on your body. I want to be on that body. It's like, Ed, your, your, your sexuality is not for me. I don't want that Ed Sheeran sexuality in my ears. There's somebody out there that does, though, Jonathan. A you lot know, of people. Gotta, you just got to respect it. But why would they get that sexual young man? With his, with, his, <laughs> with his sideburns and his flannels and whatnot. Why would he be the new Pokemon man? There's just been a lot of mysterious occurrences when it came to veteran decision makers. Like the Pokemon company, they decided on Ed Sheeran for this new Pokemon song. Google, who's made so many slam dunk decisions in the past. I don't know if you've heard of Google, but they're, they're, they're hot. The big No, I only bing. <laughs> That's how I search for things. <laughs> yeah, Yahoo, Netscape. There's been all oh. sorts of stuff. Google's still pretty big. Google had a video game platform, Tanya, called Stadia. Nobody really knows why. Nobody yeah. really knows what it is. Nobody wanted it. And then they just abruptly announced, we're giving refunds for Stadia. No more Stadia. Stadia is over. I gotta say, I think that the flaw was in the fact that they named it Stadia. Yeah? Yeah. I. It feels like stadium mm-hmm. where everything's big and it's impersonal and oh. you're just there to watch and not take part of. What would you have called Google video game, game console, system. you think? Let's let's brainstorm that real quick. Well, we, wanna, we want to make it be something that people feel they can join in on. Sure. So what do we think about like... Uh, the Wii? that worked pretty well Uh, Ouya do you know about the Ouya is that another platform that was a video game console that was like gonna be the indie console it's a cute little box cost a hundred dollars comes with like a pretty good controller all these great indie devs are gonna support it it's gonna run on Android OS and then it just totally bombed I bought an Ouya I don't think I even took it out of the box I thought about it it just it just died these these new consoles Unless they can really get to where people need something to be in that moment, unless they fit the moment, it's never going to work out. And Google Stadia, I mean, I think I would have probably bought it. It was just called uh, Bupbo or mm-hmm. uh, Da Bumba. I've got, I've got an idea. Da Beanie, yeah? Yeah, we're going to call it Fun Stuffs Incorporated. <laughs> and the F is silent, so it's sync. <laughs> The F is silent, so it's fun. Stuff Incorporated. Stuffing. Oh. Fun Fun Stuff Incorporated. But it's fun stink is what you just actually did. No no T. Sink. Silent T? No, there's no T. (laughs) Oh. Just 
F.S. Inc. I thought you said Fun Stuff Incorporated. Yeah. So fun. The... the F stands for fun. The <laughs> S stands for stuff. But if the F's are silent, then it's un... No. No. It, it, it's F.S. Inc. Okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. Sink. With the silent F in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> that, that good old... Or it could be Sphinx. Sphinx. Sphinxster. Fun it's, stuffs. That's that, what we're doing. Fun <laughs> stuffs. It sounded like stink or sphincter is where you went with it Listen, at the end there. as long as people are talking about it, it's oh, a winner. Are is, you is, kidding is fun me? Fun Stuff Incorporated for a console <laughs> way better than Stadia. <laughs> way better than Stadia. And I'm actually selling myself and my own mind on the idea that the Google Sphincter... <laughs> Would have been such a so bad. It's good. Like the Google Sphinx. Yeah, the Google the Google Sphinx. The Stoodle. They would have gotten to some Google guy to stand on a stage <laughs> and like spin around slowly and go like, Sphincter. <laughs> na, 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 like heavenly music, and the crowd all stands up and all slow claps in unison. Yeah. Just complete. Insanity that could have. And there's like a big donut hole in the sky on a jumbo tron. But like an actual donut hole, like a giant munchkin. Yeah, and and the image of it goes smaller. Oh, because of the sphincterite. <laughs> yeah, like if they made it so you couldn't tell whether they knew they were doing it or and not. It was like a food product just to just to fuck with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just make you wonder. There was no wonder in the stadia. It was just yeah, a, just oh, I get it, a, a corporate attempt. We just attempt. came up with like two way better ideas in three minutes. Slam dunked it. We've got a playful devil may care attitude where we're ready to just put ourselves out there and see what happens. And stadia didn't have that. Stadia seemed like a cold corporate strategy to try to cash in in this whole esports video game Oh, it's mm. like this is the new stadium is watching a guy play Fortnite with his buddies. Uh, let's get that stadium money with the stadia. And it flopped. And you know what's the sad part? They what's didn't... the sad part? <laughs> sorry, I was that's, delayed. That's all right. You're deep in thought. They didn't tell the people Uh-oh. who are making stadia games that were going to come out in like two weeks. Oh, no. That there's no more stadia. One of them's Burger Becky, Rebecca Heinemann. Who worked on, I think, Bard's Tale 2? She's been in the game development world forever. I had her on a show of mine called Sup Holmes forever ago. And she's in a recent documentary, I think, called Insert Coin or The Games That Shaped Us. One of those Netflix The Games That Made Us. Yeah, I think she's in there. She's great. She deserves all the success in the world. Stadia screwed her over. I hope she didn't lose any money on it. Also, uh, this guy Tom who worked on a game called Tangle Tower, another game for Nintendo called Snipper Clips. Snipper Clips. He's making the real stuff. Google gave him no respect. He was just like, oh, we were making Tangle Tower for Stadia. It's going to come out on the third. I guess we're not doing that anymore. Just dead. Just no respect for the developers. Can I just ask, is it possible to make those games for a different console? Like, can they convert it? Uh, is I it... wish I had those details for you. Ugh. It's uh, Tangle Tower's already out on various things. At least one thing. Maybe even two. But to optimize it for Stadia, to make it run on their operating system, to figure out how it's going to meet their certifications and specs... It's all a big money set. That's obnoxious. Yeah, I mean, it's possible Stadia paid them up front for that. Now they just get to 
keep the money without selling the game. But I mean, Google has it to spare. Google has done some funny stuff. They bought the company of some guys I know, Alchemy Labs, I think they're called. They made a job simulator. Anyway, I'm way off track. We gotta get to some guests. You wanna get some? You wanna get to a guest or two? Yeah. So I think the theme of this show is it just organically formed in front of my face. Is how do you succeed even when you are an old veteran that you've been doing this for a while? Success is not guaranteed, even if you're friggin' Google. How yeah. do you get to the heart of actual success? How yeah. do you make things work? And we have. I have uh, my thoughts on it. But, I'd love to. But hear I want to hear the guests' thoughts first. Well, first off, then we're gonna kick it off to Amanda Faro. Came on the show and talked to me. She's been doing video game stuff for almost as long as I have, which is saying a lot. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things, and we're going to eventually talk about the new E3. Ooh. The new E3. New E3. <laughs> Co-founder of Squared and a list and writer. Manda does it all. Manda does it all. So I'm here with Manda, who is someone who does a little bit of everything and is great at a lot. So excited to have her on the show. We've never spoken in real life, but I am acquainted with her partner, Mike, all of a sudden hovered around her businesses. And now we're getting right into the business with Manda. I'm so excited about it. I'm really glad to be here. We've been trying to make this happen for like three months. <laughs> yeah, at least three months. And and years of me just noticing what you and Mike, your partner, are working on. So tell us a little bit about what you do and what you like doing best and what you like about it. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm a former game journalist. I did that for a long time, started in like late 2009, did it all the way up until almost 2020. Wow. So I was in it for for a long, long time, all over the place. Most of my work has been eaten by the internet gremlins, um, as is the case with so much of all of our work online, where they're like, oh, this site doesn't exist anymore. Oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, it's unbelievable how the hope was that computers would make everything last forever because it can't burn up. It can't get scratched on a DVD, but it's actually more prone to death now than ever. So that is sad to hear. What are some of the sites you worked for? So people might be able to dig them up through archive or something. Oh goodness. Well, the first site I ever worked at was called gaming angels. I think gaming angels is still around, but I'm not sure if my work is still there or in a bunch of other places like big red barrel I worked at Loot Crate for a spell at the Daily Crate with uh, with Candice. I was a gaming editor at Mike.com before Mike.com pivoted to video for the first time. Man, that I was... Even, there's a website called Mike.com? M-I-C.com, yeah. Oh, wow. It's exceptionally millennial. That whole situation was exceptionally millennial. <laughs> even in that it fizzled and burned before it even got off the ground. Nothing more millennial than that, quite frankly. It's had it got millennial on we before it even had a chance to grow. So that's what happened because of corporate wow. oversight. Yep. After that, I went and I freelanced and around a bunch of different places. Then I ended up at Game Daily, which is where most people know me from. I was the managing editor and then editor in chief at GameDaily.biz and SuperParent.com. That I've been in places like anywhere from the Washington Post to Teen Vogue. 
So I've been I've been around. I've yeah. Been around. Those are two great places. Did I understand that you also consult or am I misunderstanding that? No, you are that is that is my new life. We my partner Mike Footer and I started a business in 2020 because we're like what else are we going to do? <laughs> Can't leave the house, fam. Guess we'll start a podcast and a business. So we did that in March of 2020 because we're like, there's nothing else to do. Let's start a podcast and a business. So we're, we've been running F squared now for, oh my goodness, two and a half years. We consult on anything from teeny tiny little micro studios with like one or two people that just need some pro bono help and firming up their pitch deck and figuring out funding and who to talk to all the way up to huge AAA studios. Some of our clients are very, very recognizable. Like we've worked with Square Enix, Bethesda. We've been all over the place. Yeah, we get to go in and we get to help developers learn how to talk to the media, learn how to position their games to the media and kind of give them a good idea of what to expect from what the previews are going to say, what the reviews are going to say. So that's that's what we're doing um, over at F Squared. And we are also, um, I don't know how to define this. We're producers, I guess. We're producers at an indie studio at Strange Scaffold. We're like producers for hire, like mercenary producers. I guess we're mercenary producers. (laughs) I think that's what we are. I think that's the only way to call it. Yeah, we're we're mercenary producers. You don't produce mercenaries as far as I know. Maybe you No, no, but we we are just mercenary in the way that we handle production. We just come in and produce you. you We just produce the heck out of you and then we get the heck out. And remind me again what Strange Scaffold works on. So Strange Scaffold is the studio behind um, an airport for aliens currently run by dogs, Space Warlord Organ Trading Simulator, and a bunch of other really fun, kitschy, indie, incredible games created by Zolivir Nelson Jr. Zolivir Nelson Jr. We've talked about him on this podcast more than once, and uh, hopefully this will not be the last time. He's such a love. I love working with him. And that brings me to my next line of questioning. What is it about you that has, after years of probably being quite underpaid and toiling away at it anyway, and never giving up and then just taking the risk on, we'll start our own business. We'll see if this works. How has that led you to end up working with Strange Scaffold and Square Enix and and so many folks? What is it about, as you self-reflect, what is it about you and your work? that's caused you to get to where you're at. How did you do it? How did I get here? Yeah. Um, a lot of patience and a lot of pushing, actually. Hmm. A lot of patience and a lot of pushing. Um, not just pushing through the sometimes immense discomfort about being woefully underpaid and undercompensated throughout the vast majority of my time in the media, mm-hmm. um, but also pushing myself to try new things. And to constantly be learning and constantly be willing to put myself in uncomfortable situations where I have to grow. Mm. Like, I didn't know anything about production before I chatted with Zolivir and he was like, hey, I think you'd be really good at production. I'd be like, I don't know anything about it. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) I was a former project manager. I mean, like these these things sort of go hand in hand. Mostly I love connection and I love people. And that's the thing that's been the connective tissue through all of my work in the game industry is just, I love people so much. And that is not always the way it is in the video game industry, the industry that attracts a lot of people who like the idea of never seeing another person again, because they're just head 
down in the virtual world, but you and down in the making <laughs> and or just the creating of a new world where there's no people. But That's you love the people. Yeah. I love the people. I love the people. I love the video games. I love the people making video games. And, you know, some of the best work that I've been able to do has been in the pro bono work that Mike and I do, where we get really tiny little teams or like little baby developers and they're going out and they want to pitch their first game. They want to get in front of the right people. And we're like, man, this is the reason why we have such a Rolodex of contacts is we want to open doors for people. And we constantly want to be getting more diverse talent into the industry and helping to shepherd those games forward so they don't get lost in the shuffle and they don't flounder in the shadows while people with better connections are able to navigate the industry because so much of gaming is obfuscated, right? It's very opaque. It's about who you know. Mm. Well, between the two of us, Mike and I know like the whole industry. So <laughs> <laughs> we, wanted, we wanted to be able to share that with, um, with as many people as we could to open as many doors as we can. Yeah. And not to blow too much smoke up your back end or to, <laughs> to, to be too glowing. But I think that that genuine love of people is why you know so many people and why People want to keep talking to you. I know a lot of people. Some of them want to talk to me. Some of them don't. <laughs> I try. <laughs> but you and Mike have such sterling reputations for being genuinely excited, caring, creative, and in it for the right reasons, not because you just want to get filthy rich. You would have chosen something a long time I, ago. I would have stayed in programming if I wanted to get filthy rich. Like my background's in computer science. If I wanted oh, to be it? rich, I would have stuck with programming. I don't yeah. care about money. Right. You know, I'm like it, Dave Oshry, man. I hate dot money. I hate it. I hate money. <laughs> you know, like it's fine. I have a, the only reason why money is important for me is because I have a gaggle of children. Mm, that's right. And that's also quite a project and involves needing to be organized and, and have a planner and also care about the people, but care about the project getting done right. If you only just care about giving them the candy and putting a smile on their face, the, the tooth project is not going to go well with those kids. No, there's a lot of interdependencies that you have to be worried about. Wow. A lot of variables that you're not sure what the heck they are until they pop up and you're like, oh, that's why you're cranky. Oh, I understand now. Okay, well, we're going to learn how to talk about our feelings later. And and you, I don't know if anyone has ever said this, but there may be times when game developers who are, as you said, baby developers, who just My need sweet a baby little, developers, little parenting. You're gonna. They go need in lots there. of love. Honestly, that's what it is. Is a lot of them when they come to us, they're so unsure, they're not confident, and mm. we work with them on their pitches until it's second nature. And my job as you know, resident mom is I just build everybody up. I'm just like, you know what? You're amazing. You've got this. I believe in you. And I'm going to be right here. I'm going to give you good feedback at the end of this pitch, but you have got this. No one is more suited to make this game than you. No one can do this but you. I want to start a game development studio just to hire you to tell me that I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we don't happy. take payment from anyone until they are funded. That's that's kind of the way that we work. So if you have a pre-funding game and you're like, listen, we don't know what the heck we're doing with pitching. You just come to me. Come mm. to me and Mike, we will help you. And anything after that, you know, once you're funded, then you can hire us. But until then, it's our pleasure to help you. My goodness. I don't even 
how can we talk about other subjects other than you? Well, this is just <laughs> not the, that the, interesting. <laughs> it's, it's you're used to you. So you are like, here I go again, talking about me and my life, but it's not what most people do with their life. They do not go about the business of video games in that way. And you know that better than me, you know that better than most because you've seen how the business works for a long time. And the biggest news when it comes to the business side of video games this week is probably E3. Oh yeah. And re-announcing their plans. How did you feel about the plans from what you saw that it is gonna come back as a live event in the summer, half business and press, half open to the public it looks like. Do you think this is something you want to do? Were you happy when it was gone? Are you happy it's coming back? I have so many mixed feelings because E3, the ESA did not take care of my information a number Mm. of years ago, back when my information, including my phone number and my address where I lived with my family, and I've since moved, so good luck. (laughs) (laughs) You might be able to find it still, but I moved. Where that was on some of the worst parts of the internet. And that was like, that was an enormous betrayal that they didn't really offer an explanation for. They didn't offer an apology for. Mike and I broke the story on Game Daily back in 2019 when this happened. And we have held the ESA's feet to the fire ever since and said, until you can give us assurances that you will never do this again to any journalist, any analyst, or any content creator, we will not be attending your show. Mm. Knowing what I know about ReadPop, which I have complicated feelings about as well, but I know they take data security very seriously. Mm -hmm. Based on that portion, I'm like, okay, I could give them my phone number again. Mm. I could do that again. In terms of E3 itself, it's my favorite show. It's always been my favorite show to cover. It was, you know, I went to my first E3 in 2010 and I went there with Gaming Angels. It was the most incredible experience of my life. I can't recommend it enough, but E3's also changed. It's had Mm. to, you know, bringing bringing E3 into a digital world where you can have the summer game mess (laughs) that we've had for the past like two summers. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to figure out how to take the E3 of yesteryear, the E3 that came up through the 90s and throughout the aughts and into the teens. You have to figure out what that looks like in a in a very digital oriented world, a world where there are content creators that you do need to consider, where there are cost factors that you need to consider both in terms of how do we attract people to our, to our event again? And how do we still make money? Mm. Because the LACC is not cheap Mm -hmm. and going to E3 as an exhibitor is extremely not cheap. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter, I think from the business side, making sure that the value proposition is clear and that indie developers, that AAA publishers, that platform holders know what they're in for and what it is that they can be expected to receive as a result of putting their mark on E3 once again. Mm. But I got to tell you, having a business side again, whew, that's a that's very attractive. That's mm. very, very attractive. That was tell one of the things that. I loved most. Yeah, mm. I mean, for a long time, E3 was a trade show. There was mm. no public. It was just journalists and analysts and industry folks. And that was it. But I also know that much like Gamescom, there is this need to have a convergence and a celebration of gaming that is accessible. Mm. But I also don't think that E3 in the past has been accessible to the average everyday human, not in the same way that PAX is, Mm -hmm. right? Show up, 
spend 50 bucks on a PAX ticket. Where you go, right? You can go to PAX for a day for 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. Not quite the same thing. I, I actually don't know. Maybe they've increased the cost, but it's under $100 for a day of tickets from what mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah. So that's much more accessible than spending like 300 some odd dollars on a three-day pass or even more than that. My goodness, I think some of them were like four or $500. Mm. on a pass to go to E3, like who can afford that in this, mm. in, in this economy with inflation, with a potential global recession on the way, mm. it's going to be a tough proposition to get people into LA based on all of that information. I'm, I'm always rooting for developers at the end of the day, I'm rooting for gaming. I'm rooting for developers, but I think that Readpop has a lot to prove. Mm. So many thoughts about it. What do you think would have to happen? for E3 to come back so strong that it's immense importance and permanence again for, you know, the next five years at least. Or what do you think, on the other hand, what would have to happen for this new Read Pop E3 to come out? And that's just it. Like, I think my first E3 was 2008. And this is when there was not really a show floor that year. It was like a series of cubicles. And oh they gosh, just like, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I remember and pictures of that. It was, and it was all I knew. So I was like, other grownups like video games? I love this. Oh. Like I was, I loved it anyway. But everyone who'd been before was like, this is like a joke. There's no giant fire-breathing dragon. There's no um, angels. You know, the people are accustomed to seeing people in, in extravagant, cool costumes. Uh, there was none of that. It was It was very dead that year. And people said E3 is over now, and yet it came back, I think, with a combination of live streaming and just putting more money into it. So it seemed like everyone had to go if they mattered. And then it started to die out again after COVID and after the data breach and after, frankly, I think, as you said, letting the public in caused some people to feel like the show wasn't as special. It used to be a place where you either really loved games and got your way in without just using money, which is how website is still right for it. Destructoid started. The founder just made up a website and then made up a robot. Isn't that how we all got in in the early years? (laughs) Like, I mean, all these websites are made up. All of them. (laughs) That's right. You know, some of them have withstood the test of time. Others have not. So it's all made up. But it was a way to show that you loved it enough that you would maybe even commit light fraud to get in. You, you, could, you couldn't pay just to get in. Or no. it was people who were actually legitimately important and they used to mix in that way. So like, yeah. And I, yeah. I think that there's 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 definitely some quality to that argument. But what I what I do like about kind of the newer format of E3 is that you are seeing content creators in there. You're seeing big streamers and influencers. You're seeing a lot of podcasters, you know, whether they're like us, we're, you know, recording our audio or their video podcasters. Like Mike and I attended GDC this year for virtual economy, which is our podcast about the Mm -hmm. business of games. So I love seeing that more and more. It opens up the game industry and it opens up the media side of the industry in a way that is much more holistic Mm -hmm. and inclusive of different formats of media, right? It's not everything's the written word. Some stuff's going to be video. Some stuff's going to be audio. And I love that. That's the Mm. thing I like the most. I think that having the public involved helps offset their costs Mm. because I think it's getting more and more expensive and it's becoming less and less important 
for publishers and platform holders to partake, mm -hmm. especially when they can do it offsite. Like EA does it offsite with EA Play. Microsoft does it offsite at the theater. Devolver just refuses because Devolver's Devolver. You know, <laughs> they're across sure. the street where the Hooters used to be. That, that I, parking I, lot. I met with them in a. <laughs> That's right, the Hooters. They that were was win, the Hooters once, once a, upon a time. <laughs> yeah, at Winnebago. They they yeah. were just I interviewed Nigel in a bed in a Winnebago one year, and that that was that their three show. Yeah, yeah, that actually fun. tracks. That makes good sense. <laughs> All I know is they always have the best beer at the Devolver booth every yeah. year. They always have the best beer. So I think in order for Read Pop to succeed is that it really does come down to who's on the showroom floor and how special they make it, not how bombastic they make it. Mm. So let me tell you, 2010 was the last truly bombastic year mm. for E3, where Activision Blizzard brought in like Rihanna and Eminem and like a bunch of like, do you remember that at yeah. the, the Staples? That thing was just bananas. <laughs> I like, come on, that money can go to the workers now. Thank you. It doesn't need to be bombastic, but it does need to be impactful. Mm. What is the draw? What's the why here? Why should we have to go to E3 in order to get this information when we spent the last couple of years, you know, subsisting on, on whatever it was that they were going to drip out during their own showcases. And part of it, I think, is going to be connection because there's nothing better than meeting a person face to face. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you have safety concerns that you need to address. You have accessibility concerns with folks that have disabilities that are used to covering shows from afar, mm -hmm. making sure that they are still included because accessibility isn't just about your physical well being or your mental well being. It's also about your money. Mm. Not everybody has the money to fly themselves to Los Angeles and not be paid potentially because they're working for an indie media site, right? Sure. I, I've only been paid to go to E3 like, twice oh, <laughs> in all the years that I've been to E3, <laughs> all the rest of the time I paid for myself to be there because that wasn't, because it was an important marker for my year. Mm -hmm. And that is, that, it, that was my way of celebrating games. That was my way of contributing to whatever, you know, indie media site that I was at, at the time. I also recognize there's an immense amount of privilege in that and being able to do that. So I think that if ReadPop can manage to produce their unique selling proposition about what makes E3 special in a way that PAX isn't special, mm. right? It's a different kind of special that GDC is special, but it's a different kind of special than GDC or even Gamescom, you know, because a lot of publishers are going to have to keep those purse strings very tight and they're going to have to make those choices. Do I go to PAX West? Do I go to Gamescom? Mm. Do I go to E3, to this new incarnation of E3? They're going to have to sell it to the publishers and the platform holders and the developers. And through that, that will create the specialness that will bring everybody else back in. But what will kill it mm -hmm. is if they bite off more than they can chew mm -hmm. and they promise more than they're able to deliver. Mm. Amanda, you are so friggin' smart. It's a little painful. <laughs> Thank you. It's really, geez. <laughs> Uh, it's almost like I talk about this stuff on virtual economy a lot <laughs> and a lot of, and a lot of stuff and your passion is still there. That's one of the it things is. that's so impressive. Um, I'm so bad at being a cynic though. Well, I'm so bad at it. it. So I am very good at it and I feel <laughs> much less cynical now than I did before. I had gone to E3 for years and I stopped because I was like a bunch of millionaires and sometimes billionaires 
got me into a big room and showed me a bunch of commercials and then told me I was special for having seen their commercials before everybody else. They're, they they're trying to the trick head. me. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, Nintendo comes out with all these ladies wearing short skirts and they had 3DSs attached to their body. I was there that year. I was there too. Yeah, I was we there probably... that year. That was an uncomfortable year. Yeah. <laughs> that I was, was one like, of my last years, I think. Yeah. Honey, I, I, I need to play the DS, but I don't think I'm comfortable getting quite that close. I haven't taken you out to dinner. And while I am queer, and I probably would because you're very pretty, but also, no. Yeah, to. that's not how we should meet. This is not no. how our romance should begin. This is not. This is not how things should go. <laughs> literally chained to a machine that I was. So, so the uh, whole thing was horrifying. It was dystopian. And and you somehow have reversed all of my cynicism, and now I want to go to E three again because you reaffirmed to me that underneath all of that dystopian stuff that leaks its way in sometimes. When it's at its best, it's about a special connection and an experience yep. with other people. With our and, peers, with industry professionals, with all of the folks that we have the honest to God privilege of interviewing, right? Like yeah. that was that was the best part of my year is I would sit down and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm just I'm just going to go hang out with Suda 51 for half an hour. That's not <laughs> special at all. No, no, that's super special because Suda is great. Oh, he is. He's amazing. He's so much fun. And that's that's the thing that I loved most about E3 is it would put me in front of some of the weirdest, wackiest humans in the game industry. And this industry is made up of so many special, incredible, brilliant minds and creatives. And it's just I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of the people. Amanda, <laughs> I want you to run E3. Read Pop should just hire you to make it good. You you could do it. And we are out of time just about. Do you want to plug stuff before you go? Oh, so man, there is there is nothing I don't do these days. So, OK, take if you want to listen to me wax poetic about video games and business you can listen to my podcast that i run with my partner mike fitter called the virtual economy podcast on all major podcast platforms but we're also at virtualeconcast.com i have a book coming out over the next couple of months i wrote a book about parenting and video games i co-authored it with a clinical psychologist so if you are confused about how to handle screen time with your kiddos i got you covered wow it's called Digital Playgrounds, Our Kids and Video Games. So good. Yeah, it's, it's a six book series. So, I mean, buckle up. We're going to get you for a bit. <laughs> We're going to get you for a bit. Uh, what else do I do? I don't know. I just finished the narrative design on my first video game, which is unannounced. So I can't tell you anything about that yet other than I'm writing a video game. So that's pretty cool. Incredibly cool. Wow. And yeah, you can hang out with me on Twitter. I'm uh, Amanda Farrow on Twitter. Amanda, thank you so much. Hopefully it's not the last time you're on and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me. This has been a genuine joy. Amanda, 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 I can't let you go. All my life you're haunting me. I loved you so. That Amanda, I'm so touched she was willing to be on the show. She's got a billion other things to do. I am lucky she's slightly since she finished her book which is coming out and is working on her game but well didn't have any time sensitive 
deadlines on her game and was in between meetings. I was able to get a little time with her. You ever see yourself going to to E3, a live event like that, Tanya? Do you want to? I would go just for the tchotchkes, as you know. <laughs> um, I love those things. <laughs> you do like the... I do like swag. Yeah, um, you like the memorabilia. You like I the like keepsakes. Getting it. Yeah, yeah, I like getting it. Um, but I also don't like to hold on to stuff. So it's a little, it's a little bit of a push and pull inside mm. myself. But I do like to get the things that makes me feel good. Um, I would go just to experience it once. I've, as you know, I've not done this stuff mm. ever. So it's, I'm all about experiencing things in life and seeing what it's like, and meeting the people. Yeah. That's what I love. The people that show up. You'd be big on the people, and there'd be opportunities for you to meet people whom you've heard about for years. You've played their games, but then you get to see what they're like in real life, and it's a, a real... Letdown. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, it's real humanity. One of the most touching E3 moments I've ever had. I was dead tired. When I was working E3, we had to like write eight or nine stories a day and make them good because we knew that tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of people were going to read them. So I was just beat. Oh, I was doing videos too. Oh, I looked like crap. Oh. Like a, like a raccoon. What? Yeah, I was so sleep deprived and I got some circles under my eyes sometimes. I just, I looked like a creature of the night. Just no. crawling from no. his hotel video room. video game to video game? Yeah, yeah. Just a, just a I'm horrible sorry. sort of a cryptid beast. And no. then who was it but Austin Ivansmith, director of DuckTales Remastered Ooh. and the ru Ooh. the Mummy Demastered, <laughs> if I remember correctly, it's called. Yeah. He came to my hotel room and he was like, Jonathan, I came to your hotel room, not for a business meeting, but because I truly wanted to meet you as a fellow human being. And wow. I was like, uh, that's great, Austin. I like your games. Can you tell me any secrets about the DuckTales again? No, you were like that? Yeah, I was just a disaster. You did that? Yeah, oh. but, but Austin still talks to me this day. It was like a decade what you, ago. What you failed to recognize was the opportunity for your in in the friendship oh. realm. And then maybe you could have cracked all the codes. Well, here's the thing. Yeah? If I make friends with a game developer... Yeah. And then ever write about their games again. Oh, that's very smart. And the Gamergate gang finds out they're going to try to do that's bomb right. threats. That's they're going to want to, yeah, kill you again. Because <laughs> I like a you person. Can't be, you can't be friends with anybody, Jonathan. <laughs> no, you're not allowed to be. Wow. But I, just Ugh. between you and me, and yeah. hopefully nobody's going to be mad about it, I like a lot of people out there. I like them. I like I like all the people. Who do I not like? There's like three people I don't like. I'm not gonna name them. The rest of you, I like you. I just like the people. It's how so I'm shaped. Go eat a dick if you're if you're so <laughs> uptight over Jonathan being friends with other humans. And it's not like we're partying. It's not like I'm I'm having right. them over heart to hearts. I just like them and care about them because they're alive and they're trying to do stuff. Like stuff that you love. Yeah. Or even stuff I don't love. I will meet the guy who's like, oh, yeah, I'm the debugger. It's my job to make sure that there's no bugs in the code and remove the bugs. In the AAA games. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, wow, you must get in there and really care about your work. Oh, yeah, I love the bugs. I, love <laughs> no, I, I feel for that guy, too. So next up on the show, mm. some people that I haven't talked to in eight years, but it's true, world. I have secretly liked them, maybe not so secretly, 
Even though I only talked to them once in my life, they left such an impression on me. I was thinking, I want them to succeed. And then I watched a video of Sylvester Stallone talking about what inspired him to make the Rocky movies. And he said, People thought I was stupid. <laughs> you know, put me in the background of a movie. A movie I was in, I was just a bum sitting around drinking booze on the street. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, he's just uh, really self-depreciating. This is pretty great to see Sylvester Stallone say this. So I made a movie about being a loser, and but having a lot of heart. It was rocky. People like it. Now I'm now I'm a winner. Yeah, and I thought this is. Exactly what I think happened with the development of hit video game Trombone Champ. Yes. Well, do you know about Trombone Champ? Only because you shared it with me. Did I share it with you? Well, not the actual game. I haven't seen the game, but I but I really want to now. I'm going to real quick tell you. It is like Guitar Hero, except you got to slide the mouse up and down, mm-hmm. which is really hard. Mm. And it's a slide trombone. So, you know, you're you got to doing... do it like tiny increments. Just, you gotta hit it just at the right time. You gotta slide it just the right time, and it's very easy to turn. Oh, I don't know. What's what's your favorite trombone song? <laughs> Is it uh, oh. "God Save the Queen"? Maybe I, I don't. I, I I don't know what my favorite trombone. We'll do song. the U.S. national anthem for for uh, for shits and giggles. You know, if it were done correctly, it would be. Oh, say can you see? Approximately. Yeah. Trombone champ, you go. <laughs> yeah, like you really can't. You can't do control it. Control it. And it's so hard. Yeah. So you it's can't bad. control it. That's a perfect way of putting it. You are always a little bit or Off. a lot. You're never gonna get it right. Because you're not fully in control. The creators of Trombone Champ mm-hmm. are people I've thought about for eight years since I last interviewed them, and they were kind enough to grace us with another interview. Jackie and Dan, so it's a man and a woman we're going to talk to about trombone video games. Whoop whoop. So I'm here with Dan and Jackie on Zoom, and Dan has, if we can just describe it briefly, Dan, can you describe your Zoom avatar for us? It's supposed to be a, uh, in D&D parlance, it's a Svurf Neblin, which is a dark gnome. It's a, <laughs> see, in D&D, there's gnomes, but no one really likes gnomes. So dark gnomes are like the slightly creepier underground gnomes. And that's that was my last character when we played D&D. And we mainly use Zoom for D&D. So my... Every time I join one of these interviews, like the first thing people see is my big profile picture, which is like a ridiculous pencil drawing of a gnome character. (laughs) I keep forgetting to change it to something. It's not a pencil drawing of a gnome. It looks like a cross between Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes peeing on things. You know that? Mm, You see it on mud flaps and whatnot. And Link from the Adventures of Link. It's true. Kelvin has some sort of urinary problem, I think, because he he pees on everything. Is he all right? Ford, Chevy. He has no respect for these brands. 
yeah, that's a whole whole other story I'd love to get into. But this is our first time talking in about eight years. And wow. we last talked when you had worked on the Kickstarter for a real passion project. Mm. You had a hit, at least in my mind, it was a hit. And hopefully <laughs> it really was a hit. Phineas Proudbottom? Icarus Proudbottom. Icarus! Because he flow, flow too close to the sun. Mm-hmm. Icarus Proudbottom. <laughs> I always remember the Proudbottom because like, <laughs> I remember that came from farts in some way. Which yeah, because poops. In the first, <laughs> yeah, in the first Icarus Proudbottom game, he's propelled through the sky by his poops. He's yeah. like kind of flying. So I thought Proudbottom was a funny name. <laughs> and then Icarus because he flies. Right. Yeah. And he taught typing. Yeah. I mm-hmm. love that game. We talked about it. Thanks. And at that time, you also were working on a new game in the Icarus Proudbottom franchise where he cinematic universe <laughs> where he goes to space it was like star trek because uh jackie and dan you both like star trek but and we both I was, love star trek oh, yeah <laughs> we just watched a bunch of deep space nine again i rewatched deep space nine like three times a year i fucking really? love it do you prefer it to next generation overall oh it's such a hard mm. choice i feel like they're mm. so different that it's hard to like pick a favorite between the two i feel like if you know i had a gun to my head i'd say yes but again like they're so different that i I don't know i grew up with the original series so that was my favorite Mm. um not anymore though oh again like it's so it they're so different yeah yeah but again gun to my head deep space nine jackie always like talks about how much she loves the original series then whenever we go to watch it I'm like, let's watch this one. She's like, no, don't watch that one. It's horrible. What about this one? No, don't watch that one. The don't quality that. between the episodes varies so much. And even mm. the tone and just the writing is just all over the place. It, okay. You could definitely pick like the best episode ever right next to like total insanity. There's only like three episodes she approves of. <laughs> the That's not episode. true. What's one of your favorite episodes, Jackie, if you can? From original series or yeah. any? Uh, original series. Oh, geez. Uh, Enterprise Incident was young Jackie's favorite. What happens in that one? There's a female Romulan commander and she's kind of like the bad guy and she like kind of schmoozes Spock, but really Spock is sort of schmoozing her and is using her to steal the cloaking device and it's oh, like wow. thing. how yeah. do you schmooze spock though because he's all are you kidding me like half the episodes in star trek are schmoozing spock especially nowadays with the new ones but he, yeah, that's true. all to me spock is about the person you wish you were mm. logical smart making the right choices mm. dealing underneath the surface with like that guy who just wants to punch kirk in the face but he doesn't mm. he just raises the eyebrow yeah yeah but then he does fight him with the sticks <laughs> over his pride that one time. The, anyway. the Lerpa, yes. Jackie, you are <laughs> blowing my mind. I wish this was a Star Trek podcast so we could spend the next hour oh, just God. talking about that. Well, it, I can yeah. it can be. Yeah, It can be tonight. I'll only stop. Before but that game, Icarus Proudbottom in space, what was the rest of the I name? I think that one was called Starship Captain. Yeah, Starship. Icarus Proudbottom, Starship Captain, yeah. That did not end up becoming the game that cnn and the washington post mm. called you about no and actually yeah we we're trying to kickstart that one and in retrospect that one was a bad idea because it was a really big concept and we we're still making games in flash back then it was yeah. just it was just too big of a game to make in flash mm. like i was pretty good with flash and i could have hacked it together but it would have become a nightmare it was basically going to be like an adventure game like more than 
like a flying a ship game, just like an adventure game. It's really dialogue driven, a lot of jokes, but the whole thing takes place like in a enterprise type of bridge. Mm. And yeah, I feel like the main problem with the Kickstarter was we had such a clear idea of what we wanted like it to look like and we what we wanted like the characters to be and what the jokes would be and the premise and everything, but not such a, a clear idea of like the gameplay. It, we we had sort of a loose idea, but especially in the Kickstarter video, it wasn't really evident as to like the exact gameplay would feel like. And I feel mm. like some people who, I don't know, weren't quite certain about the game were like, eh, which I get, like, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of days nowadays, I'm more drawn to games that are strictly gameplay and not like a story. Mm. So like, I get it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you just, if I witness this correctly, you just told people I agree with you. You should not have funded my game. <laughs> <laughs> it, we, it was like a big, like, I don't know. We were trying to bite off a lot more than we might have been able to chew. I'm not really sure. You know, the yeah. thing is too, it's, it's about how you use Kickstarter. We didn't do it right. Like um, mm. I was really trying to kickstart the game with Kickstarter. Like truly, you know, I hadn't really, we hadn't done that much. Mm. But especially over time, I don't, first of all, I think Kickstarter is rough for video games now. It's got a huge oh, yeah. board game scene. It's gotten really rough. Yeah. There was a brief moment where like lots of games were making a lot of money off Kickstarter. It was we missed that wave. Yeah. Sure. It, unfortunately. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, the, yeah. So we're going back to 2014. We have such we have had such a robust conversation <laughs> and we have not even talked about Trombone Champ yet. This is just <laughs> what? <Yeah. laughs> and it must be nice what? for you to talk a little less about it because as you were telling me. Hey, it's been a lot point. of interviews in a short <laughs> amount of time about mm. one part of your life. So that's, I yeah. want you to have as much fun as I'm having talking about this. So we can yeah. talk for 30 <laughs> seconds about trombone shape. Yeah. Uh, but you have been making games, as I recall, for about a decade. Oh, gosh. Even right? even before Dan and I were making games together, Dan's always been making stuff like even mm. as a kid with like what Game Maker yeah, I was one of those Q-Basic kids who made like adventure games, like the text ones. They're horrible. <laughs> those text-based adventure games. Um, yeah, I, I'd click and play. That's oh, what it was. That's which I think was. became right. Game Maker. And then, yeah, we made a bunch of Flash games. Um, Tremble and Champ is our first like real product that we tried to sell and have at like actual quote-unquote professional standards, I would say. Is that right? Because you've always yeah. been on my mind, and we talked a little bit before. You haven't always been on my mind, but you've been <laughs> on my mind since I first learned about you with the Icarus Proudbottom. Some of your music is hmm. in Skatebird, yeah. which uh, did well, and uh, you're in the credits of, and you didn't awesome. know it, but you were a part of a team that won an award for it. Uh, That's nice. For so, so you've been doing stuff that I'm aware of for a long time, but Trombone Champ is really like your first game that you sold? Yeah, basically. It's the first one on Steam. Yeah, yeah there are yeah. some other Icarus Proud Bottom games that you sort of polished up and put on what was it? Itchio. Itchio. Mm. That that was pay what you want. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess technically, yes. Technically, no. I don't know. The first, <laughs> I guess like literally the first game I sold was uh, Icarus Proud Bottom's Typing Party. I'm not oh, sure if you right. played that one. Yeah, it's a two-player typing game. So you plug two keyboards into a computer and 
you can play even that's just a flash game it's like it has a wrapper so you can play it on pcs now because flash doesn't even work anymore yeah Yeah. but um super dead and Mm -hmm. i briefly was selling that for like five dollars but then during the pandemic i just set it to free because whatever it was because it wasn't making any money so whatever just put it out there you know Um, i mean like that that game you polish pretty well uh um we actually made an arcade cabinet for it because it was at the museum of the moving image for some video game um exhibit indicate indicate yeah. i was trying to remember um but now it lives at a bar in brooklyn near us called wonderville and it's still oh. there you could go mm-hmm. and play it does it um, take quarters no no all, no all free um it actually the whole bar has um indie games in it uh so just nothing but like especially local new york city uh indie game devs it's very unique i like the place a lot yeah, I would, sounds great. Yeah, I would actually like to make more of those cabinets because I found out that like a lot of the cabinets at the bar that hosts our typing cabinet, they actually have a bunch of cop like you know they're all over the country. Mm. There's one called like Black Emperor, which is a really fun game. Turns out there's like a dozen of those throughout the country. I had no idea. Yeah, and actually I've I've seen a few people who manage arcades mention the typing game, like our typing game. It oh, makes yeah. me realize, like, oh crap! Like, I could be selling these things. Like, you know, for- it's hard though. Like, how do you ship something like yeah, that? I or I, I don't know. There's a lot of logistics involved. It would, it would yeah. be exciting. I don't. I know. mean, uh, when I go to Best Buy once a week <laughs> because my seven-year-old wants to look at Minecraft Legos, the exact same set huh. every week. He never <laughs> yeah. gets sick of looking at the box and saying maybe someday. <laughs> but I see arcade cabinets, relatively small ones that you like mm. build yourself after you get home on sale for like 600 bucks and they seem to be doing okay so there may be a way devolver really i know they put out an arcade version of enter the gungeon i can't remember what it was called oh that's cool yeah we yeah. could talk we can just talk about stuff i just like <laughs> talking to you but i have to focus a little bit more on trombone champ because i've had this question setting in my head ever what? since i saw it so i didn't know it was you at first mm. And I was like, that game's going to do so well. That's going to be the next Beat Saber, except it's oh, uh, hilarious. And I remember <laughs> when Beat Saber only had like 20,000, 30,000 uh, copies sold. But after it got that credibility that people who were considered experts or in the know or influencers or whatever started talking about it, then just everyone got it. So I feel like Trombone Champ definitely has that. Oh, geez potential especially if you can get it on switch or something and motion control well, there's so much you could do and i'm sure you've already thought about it you don't need armchair <laughs> game dev for me but when i saw it was you that made it i immediately got a question that oh. uh, burst into my head so hard that i've been waiting to ask it to you for for the full week since i've known you were behind trombone champ which be is building it up do you think you would have made trombone champ if you had been making million selling games this whole time or do you think there was something about trombone champ that was born from the fact that you've never even you've been making games your whole life dan and, and jackie you've been contributing to them for a long time you did the uh art on trombone champ do you think you would have wanted to make a game like that if you had just been profiting off games uh, this whole time? I'd say probably not, actually, because one of the things that drew me to the concept was I just I thought it was a funny concept. I liked the concept, but I was also trying to. Like, think of a concept that was achievable in a short amount of time, because mm. like you can so easily spend like years and years and years in a game. 
Um, and I was trying to learn Unity, which is like the the big game engine that runs the trombone champ. Mm-hmm. And so I had this concept and I was like, ooh, this concept would be like, it's small. It's just like a music game with a trombone. I can make this in like six months. It'd be a perfect like starter project. Mm. And so that was ultimately why I decided to pick it up. Like, well, I did like the concept, but again, it was the ease. It was like the relative simplicity of the idea. So yeah, if I, if, I mean, if we were already successful, I probably would have not picked it up. It would have just been like a funny little idea that I didn't bother with, you know? I um, wonder though, because mm. Dan loves making jokes and he also does love sort of dipping his toes into like certain ideas of other stuff. I don't know. I feel like maybe you would have at least like come up with like an initial framework just to play around for shits and giggles. It's possible. <laughs> it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, it's I mean, funny because one thing I've, I've told other people is like, I picked, I was confident I can make this game in six months, but then it, it took like four years start to finish. It took so long, I mean, but that's fine. We had nine to fives, you know, it, 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 it makes it hard and stuff comes up like the pandemic and, you know, other like Dan takes freelance a lot too in his free time, which um, probably not anymore. <laughs> be too busy with this trombone game now. It's so a, like, you know, yeah. stuff interrupted it and there was never a deadline, you know, it's hard to like, I don't know. Yeah. When you're working just nights and weekends on a hobby project and especially before you've announced it. It's really easy just to like to spend way too long on it because there's no pressure. You can just keep messing with it, you know? Um, yeah. And also the pandemic slowed it down too, of course. We live in New York and yeah. like 2020 was wild here, you know, like everyone's just suddenly working from home and oh, yeah. all the grocery stores are wild. And it was just, so it was probably like a three or four month period in 2020 where I just didn't do any work on it because you're just focused on like just going to the grocery store, like figuring out how to get food. <laughs> like, and, yeah. And, like, I, I just have to stop you. I, I love hearing all this, but I'm biting my tongue so hard. I don't know if you see my face, but it's like, you're like, so hard. you're like, I have, I have to, like, I like hearing this, but it's really boring. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not at all. But it, it, I'm just so excited about what you're saying because mm. um, two reasons. I like it and I like you. <laughs> and it also aligns so well with my, idea of who you two are and how you made this game i know we haven't talked in eight years but i felt like i got to know you then and it's just i'm having like a lot of i told you so in my head moments (laughs) i knew they were like this and they are like this (laughs) so you've had so you've had at least three what i would call sad trombone moments in this conversation where you've both frankly adorably talked about how you should have done better and are like sad about it, even though you just came out with a game that the friggin' New York Post and CNN is like greatest thing ever. People like go on Twitter. If you look up Trombone Champ, you just say perfect game. Love this game so much. Never laugh so hard. Never get the Jake never gets old. And and yet Jackie started out with like, I understand why people didn't kickstart our game. We didn't. <laughs> yeah. And Dan was like, yeah, I did it all wrong. And then just now you're <laughs> like, oh, we should have made Trombone Champ in six months. Whoa, we messed okay. up. Wah, wah. So there's been these sad trombone moments that, as I know you do <laughs> in my own mind anyway, and knowing that you've made a ton of games and the, I knew you weren't selling them a lot of the time. I saw Trombone Champ when I saw that it was you that made it as an expression probably unintentionally (laughs) thinking definitely unintentionally now of how your career in games has been a lot of like, we're probably screwing up, but it's fun. Right. 
Like this is this is this is funny. This isn't gonna be big. I'm not hitting the right notes, but I like doing it. I'm gonna do it another year. And so many people, especially in the pandemic, relate with the feeling of like, I'm just trying to do this. I know it should be better, but yeah. I'm doing my best and it's at least funny, right? Like that feeling is something that it is a perfect game and <laughs> oh, it's at the perfect time for that game. Like, I don't know if that game would have done as well when we weren't in a recession and in a pandemic and all that. I don't know if everyone related would have related with a sad trombone feeling, but, but now yeah. they do. <laughs> Thank you. That's high praise. I wouldn't call it a perfect game. That's for sure. It's really, I, I mean, the thing is I've just spent so long with it that, I, I, you know, I thought it was really funny at first, but after like three years working this thing, I'm not laughing. <laughs> when I'm like, when I'm playing it, I'm certainly not laughing anymore. You know, it's just like these are jokes that I've seen, like all the jokes that are in Scattered Throughout. I've seen them hundreds, if not thousands, of times. Well, um, also, you're pretty good at the game. So when he plays it, it sounds like decent, you yeah. know. And and really, the game shines when you're not great at it. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah, which is most people. No, I mean, I'm, I, 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 you're right. We're coming across as very negative. I'm very happy with how it came out. Um, and I'm actually shocked at the reception. Like, um, no, I think there might be something to what you say. Like my, my mom said the same thing. She's, she saw a trailer and she's like, people probably like it cause it's funny. And these are dark times. So she said something, <laughs> like, something like that. <laughs> and that's kind of a, it's kind of a heavy statement, but you know, I'm to be frank. I don't think many like comedy games do that well, you know, mm. there's, there some games have some jokes in them, but they're not, you know, they're not comedy games. Yeah. Um, and I feel like comedy is underrepresented, uh, underrepresented, you know? And um, so I, I, I did think it would go mildly viral. I thought mm. that people would like share videos. I thought that people would make funny tweets and the tweets might get shared around, but I didn't actually expect people to like the game itself so much or for the game itself to do this well. So mm-hmm. It's kind of a super crazy surprise by that. It's it's blown past our highest expectations. I feel like though there's been there are a lot of comedy games, but usually the comedy lies in the dialogue or like characters or story. Mm-hmm. Well, like this has the comedy coming from the player. Like yeah. they they are making the joke. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I feel like it's a different thing. Um, you know, the last game I could think of that kind of reminds me of this is um, that got pretty big was that Bennett Foddy game uh, with the one where you're in the, you're the guy in the pot with the stick. Oh, sure, sure. Drag yourself around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's some Steve Ho or getting some, over oh, it. Crap, or something. Getting over yeah. it. That's yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah. I guess it's less funny, but the visual is funny. It's just yeah. one of those things where like the game itself is funny to watch. Or like Quop. Yeah. yeah the where, same guy made that. Really? Yeah, yeah same. I yeah, there I think, you go. It's all coming together. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you're 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 practically interviewing each other, which I love. I wonder if you have more ideas about because I feel like it's been a part of your your formula, if you want to call it that, or your style from mm. the top. I feel like when we talked about Icarus Proudbottom teaches typing, I said like you get to be the funny one typing, and then like funny stuff mm. happens in response. And it reminded me at the time of uh, Monkey Island, how in the first one, you're the one who chooses the punchline. I don't know if you've played Monkey <laughs> Island, but yeah, it's like uh, insult fighting. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, and and you're the one who chooses how appropriate you fight like a cow when it's like the wrong punchline. Mm. And you're the one screwing up the joke, which is, in fact, the joke. When, <laughs> and, and Trombone Champ, you're the one screwing up the song, which is which makes it funny. So why do you 
What do you think it might be about you and your style that you've consistently given the player the opportunity to be the one telling the joke, as opposed to you feeling like you need to write the joke and they're laughing at your funny writing? You you know. give them toys to play with that are funny, as opposed to like making it about you and how funny you are. You know, I think you might have thought about this more deeply than we have. It's well put. No, it's. I, I think you're right. I, I do think. We have had games, you know, that have done less well than other games. And the less well, the ones that did less well are the ones like what you said, where like, we're just telling jokes. Mm. Like I think Icarus Proud Bottom Teachers typing, like the gameplay was funnier. Mm. Then we made like an episodic sequel, which is like based on Twin Peaks. Um, And I like that one, but I think that was more like what you said, where like, it's just kind of us trying to like shove jokes at the players. I don't know. It's very story-based and like, you know, very railroaded where the player doesn't have much of a choice but to just follow along yeah i would say like um i don't really have like a mission statement or an ethos when it comes to games but if the closest thing i probably have would be that i don't want to make any games that are basically games that have been done before Mm -hmm. um because i mean i don't want to rag in any indie devs specifically or anything but there are like a lot of people who make like platformers um, you know, and they have their own twist. They're like, hey, it's a, you know, it's a platformer set here with this character in this setting and the mood is this. Same is true of like first person shooters and stuff. Like there's so many, you know? Yeah. And of course there are lots of unique ones, but um, I, all the games I want to make, like I want to try to avoid that. And I want to try to do something that I can't think of that's been done before, mm-hmm. which is why I like, like the two player typing game. I'm like, oh, I haven't heard of that before. Mm. And that's part of the thing of the trombone thing too. Like I, research it i'm like yeah, no one's really made a music game quite like this before it's like it's it is like unique you know mm-hmm. i just don't want to make a game that's like a reskinned version of another game so i think that might that in itself might just lead to fun gameplay i'm really into like the you know what gameplay is unique and fun mm. there was a game i was working on before this that i liked a lot it was um I never finished it but i want to it's kind of like a twin six shooter except instead of like shooting bullets it's more like a billiard type gameplay where like you launch yourself as a ball and you hit other balls and then the balls bounce around. And that's kind I of the love sp- it, but it was made and I'm in it. <laughs> it's called pool life. panic. Pool panic. Yeah. It's oh, a, no. I'm, I, it sounded like he can't just be saying both of those things at the same time, but yes, no pool panic is real. Don't. It's a great game. You'll like it. I'll get you a code. It's made by a guy named Angus Dick. A uh, very nice guy. Uh, yeah. And he put me in the game because he likes me. Hey, so I'm nice. balls you can hit. <laughs> is it it's just called awesome. Jonathan Holmes? Uh you know I'm never named, but it's a oh, okay. drawing of me just looking like me. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's a really so... odd mental picture of like a photorealistic your head in the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh I don't know if you want to talk about it with the remaining time. I love to give options though, so I'll give you the option. How has it been to get suddenly CNN and the Washington Post in a short amount of time? You told me it was like 20 interviews in two days. Did you like all that attention <laughs> and all of that sense of like suddenly being in PR mode for, I, I, I'm just putting myself in your shoes because I love to talk. It would be fine. But I would also be like, I wish I had a little more time to prepare for like my moment to maybe become uh, someone whose career is set in stone or not. Yeah. I think you just, you nailed it with like the, I would have enjoyed it more if we'd sufficiently prepared. Yeah. Like, uh, cause uh, you know, I think, but we work 
at the moment we still work nine to five Monday to Friday full time jobs. Yeah. So this game stuff is truly like a nights and weekends hobby. Yeah. So there's simply not enough hours in the day to like do these things. Um, so it's, even it's, yeah, just the weekends too. It's just been wild. Um, um, and and just to be clear, like I, I helped with some of the art, but like otherwise the game has all been Dan. So Dan has been doing like all of those interviews. <laughs> so, sure. But I've been trying to help with like almost to be his like publicist, like manage the emails, tell him like, oh, putting you down for like a five o'clock with CNN. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I don't know. It's been wild. Cause you know, the emails pop in. It's like, oh my gosh, we got this one. We got that one. So-and-so oh, contacted yeah. us. Like, I like, like unbelievable. Yeah. Like just every day, like not freaking believing. Like I want people to like the game and I'm glad that lots of people are playing it and enjoying it. But you know, I think I'm just a little intimidated by having to transition from being a real hobbyist mm. into basically being a professional like overnight. And that, that even extends to like the game itself, like beyond the interviews. Cause now so many people have it that like people are finding bugs. They're asking about these things. Like I know how to code, but I'm that coding is kind of secondary for me. I'm more of an art person. Mm -hmm. So people are like making all these requests. I'm like, shit, I don't even know how to do half this stuff. You're doing <laughs> like, it great yeah. though. Like there's a lot of technical stuff that Dan has figured out like way fast. Like there's a timing tool in there that he implemented in seemingly like overnight. I don't think that works though, actually. <laughs> <laughs> people have said like, it doesn't work at all. It does, but I, don't know. I mean, they're, they're, they're having fun with it. So it's working. I just, the other thing I thought about the last attempt of the question, just pass <laughs> on it if you don't like it. It's okay. Uh, it's all about you. I know you two have been together for a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yes. We're Long married. Time. Yeah. Actually, were we yeah. married last time? Maybe I don't think so. I um, but I, I think it was in the in the works. Yeah. It was it, it you felt married, that's for sure. Like We've, I didn't think you weren't. We met in college, which was ages ago. I think mm. we started dating in 2008-ish. Mm. Right. Married in 2005. I think, no, I thought it was 15, not five. No, 15. Yeah, yeah. the five is in my head. 15, yeah. <laughs> been so 15. coming up on whatever math, seven-year anniversary soon. Uh, you talk about it like it's just, you can't really imagine life without each other. <laughs> That's how it sounds, which it's is very time. romantic and sweet. Yeah. Oh. Do you think you would have made... It's a dumb question, but it, it, my thought about Trombone Champ was it was a reflection of both your experiences not becoming a multimillionaire yet in <laughs> oh. games and being like, I'm going to make it anyway because it's fun. It's fun even when you don't win. Mm -hmm. And also, it's not a game a lot of people would make on their own. Like, I thought, is there something about how you are with each other that is in trombone champ and the, and the fact that you're still going i'd say probably not because <laughs> most of the jokes are mine and jackie generally is just like man don't don't put that joke in there <laughs> that, that, jo true. that joke that joke is too stupid like i go to that jackie, is not true i'd go to jackie and be like i'm thinking of adding a second baboon to the game <laughs> okay yeah yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of adding eight more baboon jokes and jackie's like what oh man <laughs> It's so um, it's so <laughs> interesting to consider. I I've just always been you know even I'll talk to bands sometimes, yeah. and there's like one songwriter, but the songwriter will often say like I wouldn't be in the mood to write songs if I wasn't hanging around with this person, the drummer who I just like, 
and then the drummer will leave the band and you'll notice like the songs are worse so mm. it's something you'll we'll never know we'd have to go to an alternate reality where yeah. you two aren't together but it's it's interesting to to hear more about how your dynamic like you kept pitching ideas to her like what do you think of this yeah. one and she's <laughs> no, like is. no I mean, no i don't i don't say no all the time <laughs> i mean usually he ha has me like test something out and i'm like laughing my ass off which is yeah. how it usually goes it is a good question like you know if i was like if we were divorced <laughs> would i've instead of trombone champ made like some really sad bitter game oh about like... sad trombone champ. but you know but, <laughs> but, but what's funny about this whole conversation is that like i feel like we did make trombone champ in a pretty bad time because like yeah again it's four years like those are trump years and then coronavirus years and yeah. also just my full-time job has been insanely stressful and just and i don't yeah, know last year we went through some stuff with my family it yeah, was you mentioned. it was a rough like few years yeah 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 and here it is you've turned those sad trombone moments into <laughs> people literally all around the world i know millions of people haven't bought it yet but millions of people have laughed about it mm. and that's how things start right and and i i just see such huge things for you and i'm i'm again having an i told you so moment like i always thought this would happen for you too and and, and now it's happening we have less than one minute oh Is there no anything, should we just say goodbye yeah I just do. you know i just want to say thanks it's been yeah. really fun catching up i'm no I'm glad it's so that, good to see you yeah. again yeah you too <laughs> I'm glad that people are playing the game and laughing. Like that's really the game. I've said this before, but the game's like a joke first and a game second almost. And it's just, it's a big joke. And that makes it sound negative, but you know, I mean, it's supposed to be funny. It's like, it's supposed to be funny first and people seem to get that. I'm happy about it. So. I mean, I could, I'm mad at you yeah. about saying that a little bit. I feel like being like, stop being so negative. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is only funny because you made it. So the player gets to play and be mm. funny as they're playing. And I'm mm. so glad you didn't just write a bunch of trombone jokes well you see it's more of a that. joke yeah. it's a real <laughs> hilarious game that i love and thank you for making thank it. you thanks for having us i'm yeah. gonna cut off right now right? <laughs> thanks right. for having us stupid zoom thanks for having <laughs> us it's been great talking see you <laughs> soon too. hopefully Dan and Jackie, so wonderful. I immediately tried to do an impromptu business meeting for them right after the interview. You did? Oh, so many weird things have happened this week. I didn't even come close to uh, getting into them. Bob Sapp, professional UFC fighter, former football star, and just Japanese icon. You can oh. buy stickers of Bob Sapp. He's just the, the largest, most muscular guy ever. Uh, he suddenly was like, hey, how you been? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I was on a Road Rules episode with him forever ago. I didn't think he remembered me. Um, thanks to Daniel, our editor, who is posting gifts of me dancing with Bob Sapp. I posted it on Twitter. And then Bob hit up my DMs and was like, how have you been? I was like, Bob, you're a legend in my life. 
I want to get you in video games. I know people. I can't make any promises. I want to make it happen. He's like, yeah, fantastic. Email me at my personal email. I haven't gotten around to it yet because it's been such a busy day, but hoping to email Bob no yeah, later than Monday. Fuck yeah. Do you know what would be great? What would be great? A Bob Sapp yep. and Carrie Ann Hoskins. Oh, that would be great for like a new... A fucking amazing... Some sort of Mortal Kombat? Yes. Some sort of combat mortal? But can we put them down this on the same fucking team? Can they... Be on the same fucking team, kicking the shit out of something. I, I can't. We, we can't do that. I'm not making a video game this okay. lifetime. It's yeah, I'm way not too either. Hard. I get so excited. I, I know. It's like I feel like it's mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't make those choices, but we I can try so. to connect those dots. I can absolutely introduce Bob to Carrie Ann Hoskins. Oh my god! I want him to play a Bobo in the River City Ransom stage play that's going on in Japan December 7th through 9th. <laughs> um, that's a whole other story. And I just want to take a quick pause as we wrap up the show. The wrap-up music may even be starting. I just have made such, such phenomenal errors in, in getting the right names of things. I was calling Icarus Proudbottom Phineas Proudbottom. Yeah, you I did. I was just failing so hard yeah, their their game. You said the wrong name. Yeah, to, to these <laughs> to the creators. Yeah, just like oh, enjoyed your. You know, Finn. <laughs> just making up stuff. Yeah, the the amount we can fail in life, people, and as long as, in my experience anyway, you own it, you try to move past it. Yeah. And you show people that even though you you fucked up, that doesn't mean you don't care. In fact, sometimes. The reason I fuck up the most? Because you care too much? I look before, I don't look before I leap. I just start talking because I'm so excited because I care yeah. so much that I don't uh, make sure I got my, my facts straight first. Ugh, too excited. But sometimes that excitement pays off. At least I hope it's paying off for you listeners for listening in here. I hope you feel like this is paid off for you. As yeah, we wrap up another episode of the show. Pretty much what I was going to say at the start of the show when you asked me the very same question. Yeah, I guess I did. Uh, you did? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, well. It's essentially exactly what you said. I I feel like, you know, being successful is oftentimes just going for it as who you are and yeah. being your authentic self. I've talked about it on this show before. Authenticity is owning your mistakes, right? Mm, yeah, it is. And fuck it. Yeah. Here we are. Move forward. Say it, name it, I fucked up, and then on to the next thing. We didn't even talk about Nier and Bayonetta. I guess we'll have to save oh, that for yeah. next time. We had a whole idea Tanya was going to talk about Nier, Automata, and Bayonetta because... Yeah, because I played them both yeah, today. Yeah, you played them. Maybe we'll save that for next time. Maybe we'll have like a It review. was like a real up and down and up and down for me. Oh, yeah, a your experience. back and forth, back and forth. But the technical, technically you thought they were both sound ports of the original content, right? You weren't playing those and thinking to yourself, this isn't a sound port. The original content has been flawed. This has been been smirched, besmirched. This has been smattered with flat, flat fails. This is a bad news port. You weren't thinking any of that. I don't know what that means. <laughs> this sorry. whole time you were talking about yeah, it. Sorry. I didn't I didn't even know what you were saying. Yeah. I was just thinking, oh. Besmirched? That's a real Besmirched. word. Besmirched. Right? It's a real word. What's yeah. it mean? You're not wrong. You you can own your 
correctness on that one. On the besmirch. Besmirch. Now, can you define it? I was asking you. Oh. <laughs> Do you, can you? I threw it right back. Yeah, I know, I know. Besmirched. Yeah. Uh, I don't even dare I try. It's, it's like a feeling. I it's think like it's feeling. more of a, a <laughs> smattering of uh, feeling wronged, disrespected, tarnished in some ways. I think that's my... Almost even like taken aback by... Oh, yeah, yeah, woof. Like, yeah, whoa, I've been, I've how, been you, how why did you do that to me? Yeah, I've been a little besmirched. How dare you call me out on my own things? <laughs> yeah, that would be a besmirchment. Yeah. So I hope you're not feeling besmirched after that <laughs> sudden excited focus on the word besmirched. We're going to close up the show. Nintendo Force issue 62 is wrapping up pretty soon. I just got some of the preview issues for it. It's coming together good. I still have to review Shovel Knight Dig for it. I'm going to be working on that this weekend. Oh, fun. Got some other Destructoid things. I might get to post some stuff on Destructoid next week. I did do that near Automata Switch port impressions. I like it, but I guess it's not exactly as good as the PS4 one. It seemed the same to me, but then I watched a comparison video and the rust holes in area A are slightly oh. more rusty looking in the PS4. People get very excited about this stuff. It's very important to them. The frame rate. Sometimes the PS4 version runs at 44 frames per second. Switch version, a solid 30 frames per second. Whoa. It's a big deal. I don't know. I don't know. So you can check that out, that impression. Hopefully it's not so bad that you hate it. And uh, I think that's about it for me that's for now. That's what we're going to be doing, I that's guess. That's what Just we're going to be doing. It's another show. It's another Two show. Weeks. Two yeah. weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Watch for it. <laughs> you better enjoy it. Two weeks. <laughs> Two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's very threatening. <laughs> Two weeks. See you there. See you in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Talking to Women About Video Games is hosted by Jonathan and Tanya, with editing and production by Daniel. Music by Jonathan and Daniel. You can support the show and get exclusive bonuses on Patreon at patreon.com slash TTWAV. Thanks for listening. Thanks.